Adults Finest Podcast, Episode 49. Sims, and with me is the sick James Doe. I guess that explains why we're recording this so soon before it goes up on the main page. Yeah, you know, let's pull the curtain back a little. Normally what we'll do is we'll record it the weekend before the Wednesday the show is published. Mm-hmm. That wasn't possible because James has been sick as a dog for around about two weeks. Oh, I can't even imagine. So we had to cancel our recording Saturday night. Uh, and so we're recording it Tuesday night, the day before it goes up. I feel very bad for Michael David Sims, folks. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, someone was in town, hmm? Mm-hmm. And, uh, someone was conspicuously absent from Facebook and Earth2.net for about a week, I will, I will <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aaron came to town and I was sick the whole time, but... We had a good time. Yeah. Took her to the zoo and the aquarium and uh, Shakespeare Theater and everything. So it was it was good. I was able to contain most of the utter pain I was in for for her sake, and uh, I ended up getting her sick too. So, oh. but it was bound to happen, I guess. But I think she had a good time. Uh, so should we get into the emails? Okay. First one is from Marcellus, who writes: When I first saw the episode Out of the Past, I thought my uh, the Batman musical was absolutely ridiculous and that's why it was a humorous scene in the episodes but now it seems that life is imitating art and that there's actually a superhero musical coming to broadway next year spider-man i'm a huge broadway fan and love to see stage adaptations of movies the color purple books les miserables and art sunday in the park with george but a comic book i love comic books and i love spider-man but i'm nervous about this what do you think about the situation what do you think james i I think it's kind of ridiculous but i mean i've seen worse you know, Spider-Man is a musical. I don't know. I, I think there's other characters it would work better for. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't think of them. It's just Spider-Man isn't at the top of that list for me. But, uh, hey, if they can make it work and it's a success, great. Good for them. You know, if it ever comes to Chicago, I'll be more than happy to see it. Next one is from TJ, who writes, Hi, Mike and James. I like your idea about the... Justice Justice League Unlimited Beyond Idea. What a mouthful, eh? (laughs) I can't believe you two are almost done with Batman Beyond. It feels like yesterday when I heard your reviews for Rebirth. I didn't think I would miss the show as much as BTAS, Gotham Knights, or Superman the Animated Series, but your reviews have made the series truly memorable. Also, I just found out that uh, Will Friedel is the older brother from Boy Meets World. Isn't that just wild? (laughs) Anywho, I finally had time to read uh, Justice League The Nail and Tower of Babel. And I must say, awesome read, guys. Thanks for the suggestions. I can't wait to hear your views of the Zeta Project. And as always, guys, great podcast. Keep up the good work, TJ. We're glad we could help out with those suggestions there. And, you know, as always, if there's anybody out there who's looking for comic book suggestions, just write in. You know, even if they're not DC-related. If, you know, you're looking for image comics to get into, Dark Horse, Marvel, other DC books, whatever, write in and we'll give you some uh, some ideas. 
And next one is from Sean, who writes, Hi, fellas. Uh, so I was disheartened that Mike couldn't get over the plot hole in the call. I actually didn't see this as a plot hole, but rather a brilliant maneuver on Superman's part. Here's a few reasons why I see this. The guilty party always makes the move to shift blame away from themselves when they've committed a wrong and there's a possibility they're going to get caught, be it world superpowers or children that stole some candy. If Superman was going to begin knocking off leaguers one by one and he was conveniently missing for all of it, suspicions would start pointing to him by the third or so attempt. By bringing Batman on board, he's adding elements of resentment, anger, and irritation to the League mix because they didn't get a vote, and they don't want Batman there. This keeps them off balance and suspicious of the FNG, uh, you know, the fucking new guy, and not <laughs> Superman, and unable to work as a cohesive team to figure this out. After Marina almost dies and Batman saves her, people start to realize all is not well. When Batman unveils that it's Superman eventually, Barda still doesn't believe him. Luckily, Warhawk shows up to confirm Batman's tale. Plus, I can't think that Superman would see the new Batman as cognitively able to make the connection like Bruce would. By bringing Terry onto the team and uh, to find a traitor, he's keeping an eye on Terry. After all, Starro knows Superman, so he'll know the truth about uh, he'll know about Batman, and that he can't take any chances that Batman may screw up his plans. So, by telling Batman there's a traitor, he's giving him just enough truth, which gives Terry no reason to doubt him or suspect him. And keep in mind, Terry and his generation grew up basically seeing Superman as a god. Bruce would definitely check out Supes if he were asked to find a traitor, but Terry, why would he check out the background of Superman? Why investigate him? He's been fighting for uh, truth, justice in the American way for 65-plus years. Terry was uh, totally starstruck by Superman at first. Supes was manipulating Terry from the beginning, counting on him to be nowhere near as good as Bruce, but he underestimated him. Superman is calling on his reputation as the greatest hero that has ever lived to protect him from Batman's scrutiny, and it worked. They didn't discover it was him until they tracked it back on screen and caught him. So definitely seeing Superman be far more cerebral than he's usually given credit for makes me appreciate the writers all the more. As you've said in the past, it's nice when they show that Superman is an intelligent hero, not just a mindless strongman. He was able to manipulate the League and Terry pretty successfully with this plan, even if it was Starro. Only an intelligent, intelligent calculating villain would have been able to manipulate the situation and walk that dangerous line. Yes, he's the bad guy, but he did such a good job, except underestimating the Bruce Terry team-up, that they might not have figured it out, and I could potentially see the League turning on Batman, which could have played him to Super Starro Man's hands. Huh. That's all, though. I just wanted to share what I thought made, stronger, uh, made it a stronger show and hopefully alleviate some of your concern about the size of the plot hole. Thanks so much for doing this show. I wait with bated breath for Return of the Joker. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell you why that explanation there doesn't work for me. You know, what he says is that if the leaguers start getting picked off, eventually the blame's going to be put onto Superman's shoulders. Suspicion would never, ever fall on Superman. He, it could, he could literally be the last hero standing, surrounded by a pile of bodies that have been scorched by heat vision, and people still wouldn't want to blame him because he's Superman. Um, the other thing problem I have with this episode, which just dawned on me, is why was he trying to pick off the superheroes to begin with if they were just going to get tar- turned into Starro-controlled superheroes? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, because wouldn't Starro want more superpowered beings in his control to get a tighter grasp on the non-superpowered humans? So why even try to kill them to begin with? Why not just have Superman lure them down into the, uh, the whatever the catacombs were in his Fortress of Solitude, one by one or two by two or whatever, and have them get taken control of just like Superman was? It's just, just all, you know, I still say it's a good episode just all around. There's a lot of flaws with it, and I want people to see that. 
Okay, and our last one today is from our good pal Ian, who writes, Top of the morning to you, Mick and Jimmy. I'm busy gearing up for the forthcoming bookender to the Batman Beyond era of WFP, but I thought I'd drop a line on this episode to talk about that, uh, that high point of this particular series, Inkling. Could it be implied that Ink's return in the call and epilogue means that her treacherous daughter is now dead as a dodo? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. But in that you've reached the return of the Joker milestone, I thought I'd chime in on how great it is. For one thing, I'm glad that the televised version over here was the unrated flashback. For one thing, the censored version makes Drake's later breakdown sound false and meaningless, as he'd not had any involvement in whatever he'd actually done in the unrated version. I'm being vague only on the grounds of spoilers, something I'm never troubled by on For Your Ears Only, my award-eligible Bond podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Staying on topic, though... Return of the Joker is one film I've got on iTunes, is the one film I've got on iTunes, excuse me, and I'm thinking of expanding my DCAU collection not via DVD sets, but through the iTunes store as individual episodes are available to buy. The obvious advantage of this would be, uh, bypassing certain episodes that you, you would be stuck paying for if getting a season on DVD. Even though I'm half attempted to get the terrible trio just for the novelty <laughs> appeal of having the worst DCA, uh, DCAU episode in history on my iPod. Or the second worst episode, now that we've established that the mechanic holds the lowest WFP rating to date. Does it? The Terrible Trio has the lowest, I know that, but... Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mean Seasons is down there. Yeah, yeah, those are those are all near the bottom, yeah. Right, I'll have a more edited uh, editing to do uh, together, so I'll go ahead and pop off, using up the last of my usual, unusual British idioms in the process. Yours, <laughs> Ian. So before we get into our thoughts about Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, there's a couple of things I want to say. Of course, spoiler 
warning. Remember when we discuss movies in the DC animated universe, instead of just giving a general plot synopsis and then giving our thoughts, we go beat by beat, giving you pretty much the movie itself. And, you know, we, we pause, we jump in and we give our thoughts about the scenes, characters and, and all this and that. So if you haven't seen it, pause this right now, go see the movie, then come back. The other thing I want to bring up here is it's been asked of us at the forums, and this was done a while ago, so I really don't remember who asked this, um, why we're covering Return of the Joker at the end of Batman Beyond instead of uh, production-wise, which is how this, you know, that that's the way we're doing this show. It's not, we don't do it on air date, we do it on production date. And this was produced, I think, during the second season and was released between the second and the third. Um, so why are we doing it after the third season has ended? Uh, two reasons. One, I screwed up and I actually thought it was produced um, after the series had actually ended. So that's my Which fault. I can understand why, given what happens in the movie. Right, exactly. But for me... It makes more sense to cover it after the final season had ended because Terry Hero's journey has come to a close. You know, he has conquered the foe that gave Bruce the most trouble. And he's become his own Batman. At least that's my take. What about yours, James? Oh, absolutely. This is the pinnacle. And I've said this before. This is not only my favorite DCAU movie. And when I say DCAU movie, I include all the three-part Justice Leagues in of that, course, too. Of course, yeah. Um, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So to cover it right now, it's just right, you know? And, and there are certain little elements in the movie that pretty much tell you that it takes place after the third season. Wayne coming back and uh, taking control of his company. Yeah, you know, that, that has can to only... happen after Paxton is gone. Exactly. All right. Um, in our first scene, uh, basically we have a new gang of Jokers. Um, they are robbing a high-tech uh, equipment building place, and uh, you know, and Batman intervenes. This it's really just one huge fight scene. It takes about five, six, maybe seven minutes. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, that's really all that happens here. It, it's just meant to introduce us to the new Joker gang, which I really, really, really wish they had used more often, because these. These jokers actually have personalities, and each each one of them has their own little quirks. And um, you've got Ghoul, the you know lanky guy voiced by Michael Rosenbaum's impersonation of Christopher Walken, <laughs> which is just hilarious on so many levels. Um, you've got Bonk, the the muscle bound guy voiced by Henry Rollins. I thought it was Henry Rollins, but I wasn't sure. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Bonk is very obviously the one who's not who does not want to be pulling this kind of job. He's more of a cash card kind of street punk guy. Yeah, because uh, for the Jokers to be stealing high tech equipment, it just doesn't make sense. They're a street gang. They're not into this kind of stuff, which appears to be um, a corporate sabotage. It's not what it is, but that's what it appears to be. And he doesn't understand why they're doing it, why their mysterious boss that, you know, at this point, we don't know who it is, um, is, is having them do any of this. And he's very vocal about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Which, and I, I like this opening scene because especially him uh, mouthing off about it, because, you know, we, the viewers are wondering, at least those of us who had seen the Batman Beyond cartoon before and aren't coming to this movie fresh without knowing what Batman Beyond is. 
um, are would be scratching our heads going, wait, why are the Joker doing that? They've never done anything like this. You know, so to have a, a character in the scene go, why are we doing this? We've never done anything like this before. You know, it, it sort of puts our concerns at ease. And we know they'll be addressed shortly. Mm-hmm. And moving on, the guy, the we got this kind of fat guy, Chucko, in a pink tutu, um, who is actually, uh, they say in the commentary, Bruce Tim says that, uh, his character is based off of a costume that Eric Radomski put on at, at one of his, ha- at like a Bruce Tim led Halloween party. Hmm. Uh, and he was called Sicko the Clown. And they, <laughs> it was, this was years and years ago. So they just came back to it. This is the kind, this is what the, the creators do. They come back to things that they thought of 15, 10, you know, whatever years ago. Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. they use it in, in these shows and the movies. And then we have, uh, the twins, Dee Dee, the Dee Dee's, voiced by Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, you know, not not a whole lot to say about them. They're they're twins, and they have makeup on, and they've got booty shorts on, and uh, this midriff. So, and they they cartwheel around. They're just the, the token girls in the group. And uh, finally, but they hold their own. They hold their own in they, fights. Though. They do. They do. And they they do it because they work together, and they catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, we have the. Uh, human hyena splicer hybrid uh, wolf, voiced by Frank Welker, who voices every animal in every cartoon ever made. So, <laughs> so that's that's our Joker gang, and I love them. They are they really are good. Um, now, Ghoul's the only one we've seen before this, right? No, we've never seen any of these characters. No, I thought we've seen Ghoul before this. No, no. Remember, Rosenbaum voiced uh, Terminal uh, in Hidden Agenda, but. Ghoul has never... Sh- none of these guys have shown up before. These are all brand new characters at this point. Now, of course, they come back in uh, Justice League Unlimited, but... Uh, yeah, but they're all new at this point. Wow, I could have sworn we've seen Ghoul before. But okay, I'll, ta- I'll take your word for it. So I have a couple notes here about this scene. I mean, of course, it's just a fight scene, but um, I do... I love the orchestra music mixed mm-hmm. with the heavy metal music, and mm-hmm. this really should come as a shock to nobody who knows, who knows me with... Hmm, why would I ever like or- orchestra music and heavy metal music? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I dug it. And the other one is this, and this is something I got to say because I promised this on the forums. I'm going to be mentioning every single censorship moment from the uh, edited version of this movie. Uh, and yeah. I'm going I'm to be mentioning every one of them that I can possibly think of as we go throughout the movie. And this is the, f- the first censorship in the edited version. The, this many of the attacks uh, were edited out or covered up by white flashes instead hmm. of actually seeing them. Um, the entire 360 fight sequence where Terry just it spins the camera spins around and Terry's fighting them off one by one, yeah. one by one that's completely removed from the edited version. Huh. And when Wolf attacks the guard at the very beginning, most of that is cut down because it is pretty brutal. He's basically slicing him in the face with his claws. So, but uh, yeah, so that's the. I think that's the extent of the censorship from this scene. In regards to this opening scene, one more thing I want to say is it really looks like this could have been on the big screen. Yeah, I believe TMS did a lot of the animation for this movie, which is, I believe that's the Japanese company that they've used for Batman Beyond a lot. But uh, yeah, the the comment or the creators were talking in the commentary about just how stunning it was and couldn't agree more. It's beautiful. So anything else to say about this? Um, 
No, I, I don't think so. I, I just think it's a really great introduction to these Jokers, to Batman, to what's going on. It raises a lot of questions. Um, it's it's just a solid way to open up a action sci-fi superhero cartoon. I don't think there's a wasted second of film, and uh, it worked to their advantage, in my opinion, starting it out with action because through the action we actually start to get to know the characters and because we get every every specific character uh trait from each one of these characters through this fight okay so from here we get the opening credits and you know they're actually pretty plain uh unfortunately they but the the creators said that they they just did not have time to make a more um more elaborate opening but it's okay because in the next scene we are in, in the bat cave and uh Bruce actually is just kind of fiddling around. He throws a batarang and uh, decapitates a two-faced mannequin um, and catches the batarang and notes, just says, still got it, uh, <laughs> as Ace wags his tail very, very reticently. <laughs> he actually kind of looks nervous. Um, so, yeah, Terry arrives uh, in the Batmobile, and uh, Bruce asks him how it went, and he said it was you know weird because, you know, we know jokers don't steal this kind of equipment, so he's just kind of wondering this out loud, and um, on the back computer screen, a news report plays that says that Bruce has now once again become uh, head of Wayne Enterprises. But there's actually this slimy kind of operating officer guy named Jordan Price uh, who is not thrilled about this. And um, you know, Terry asks him if he's going to if Bruce is going to keep him around, and he said, "Yeah, if you'll stay on my terms." <laughs> uh, I thought it was kind of clever that they had Mark Hamill do his voice too, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of throw you off a little bit further because. You know, when later in the movie, when he gets kicked by Wolf, he, he makes the Joker kind of mm. <laughs> noise with, with his voice. And so, yeah, I, I do. I absolutely dig this. It was it was op- the most obvious red herring ever, but they they went over the top with it in a good way. Yeah, if that makes any sense. But, and we have a censorship alert here. Uh, when Bruce, when the scene first opens, they, they cut off the uh, two-faced mannequin being decapitated. They edited out a mannequin being decapitated? There's much worse, believe me. We'll get to wow. it. Wow, um, okay. What happens is Bruce just throws the battering and catches it and is pleased. That's, <laughs> that's all it is. That's lame. <laughs> it's very lame, but the, the edited version of this movie is quite lame. Um, moving on, we are next shown the Jolly Jack Candy Factory that being a an homage to Jack Kirby. The Jokers are inside, and their their leader is sitting in a chair hidden in shadows, and uh, Chucko saved the console's memory chip from this, this device that they were trying to steal uh, is part of a bigger a, a bigger device that the Joker uh, wants to build. Spoiler! Jeez! <laughs> <laughs> Perish the thought. Um, but... Uh, I, wish, I should have mentioned this earlier because they didn't end up stealing the the device that uh, their heretofore unknown leader uh, <laughs> wanted. He did not want the the uh, memory chip. He wanted the whole thing because the memory chip is useless to him. Chucko slides the memory chip that he managed to get out of the device before it exploded, um, and the guy just he just crushes it on the table into several pieces because it's useless to him and. He calls the Jokers a bunch of losers and a disgrace to the name Joker. And uh, at this point, Bonk has had enough, and he starts yelling at the guy, saying that he's 
uh, just a fraud, and he wants out. And so, well, the the shadowy figure says, if you insist, and he pulls a gun on him. So <laughs> Bonk's like, he just retracts his rants and says, look at that, man, I was only kidding. And uh, so the leader pulls a trigger, only to have a bang flag gun come, uh, the bang flag come out, and he says, so was I. So all the Jokers breathe a sigh of relief, and everything's all cool, but af- immediately afterward, the leader pulls the trigger again and fires the flag like a dart into Bonk's chest, killing him with Joker toxin. Killing him with toxin? Yeah, did you just notice the big smile on his face when he was dead? No, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Oh, I thought he just pierced his heart. It probably did, but he was smiling, so, you know, it, one or the other killed him. So. Yeah, wow, okay, I didn't pick up on that. The leader steps out of the shadow to reveal himself as the real Joker, supposedly. Uh, the remaining Jokers pledge their allegiance to Joker immediately, <laughs> and uh, Ghoul begins searching for a new piece of equipment to steal, and they find it in a place that the Joker seems very interested in. There's something you kind of skipped over there. After the Joker kills... Um, I just lost his name. Um, Bonk. What he says is, that's how he did it in my day. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think he's referencing his own death. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I mean, a version of himself in the form of JJ killed him doing that same thing. So that is how it was done in his day, and I, I think that's a nice little uh, bit of foreshadowing to a flashback. Can you do that? Can you foreshadow to a flashback? <laughs> <laughs> if you can, this movie did it. This is the creepiest Joker design to date. Any close-up you get of the Joker on, on screen here is just, ooh. And um, the creators, I think, even said that they were they, the, this design of the Joker was inspired by Hannibal Lecter. This was the greatest Joker performance ever. I, I believe it, anyway. Every time he's on screen, you want to pay attention. We've, of course, talked in the past about how bad some of the Joker episodes were in BTAS and everything, but, you know, we can never blame that on Hamill. But, you know, the dude just went above and beyond here, and pretty much everybody else did in mm. voice acting. We'll get into that later, to each individual performance later on, but man, I just can't say enough for how well Hamill did uh, in this movie. There's a minor censorship thing here, uh, and this this is another one that's just really stupid and lame. The, the, the line where uh, when Bonk is yelling at Joker and Joker says, uh, Brave New World that has such putzes in it, was uh, changed to yutzes in the edited version for whatever reason. Now, a, a much bigger censorship alert was uh, Bonk's death. Um, in the edited version, instead of being shot with the bang flag and, and poisoned with Joker toxin, he's just doused with Joker gas instead of being shot. And uh, there's actually something that didn't make it into the uncut version. And they were going to have Bonk's body twitching in the background at various <laughs> moments. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. But I think Warner Home Video and the creators are like, yeah, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> and they, they, was, they thought, yeah, that's a little too much. So they, they just they removed that from all versions. And I love, I love that the gun has an orange safety tip on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my favorite moment of this entire scene is, I, I, need, to, I need to know that you're with me. Uh, girls, we're with you. <laughs> Boys, we're with you. Bonk. <laughs> Oh, right. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine, was that another edit? Oh, yeah. I, I don't see them allowing him to, you know, actually say Bonk is dead. Every time they mention death, it's been it's edited out. Okay, okay. In, in, the, in the edited version. 
in the ensuing scene, uh, we see Bruce and Terry arriving at this uh, kind of gala event to reintroduce Bruce as the head of the company. And uh, while Bruce is speaking, uh, the microphone goes screwy, and all of a sudden, that familiar cackle is heard from a distance, and uh, Joker's DD, uh, the DDs, and uh, Wolf crash the party upstairs while Ghoul and Chucko take out the uh, security guards downstairs and steal the piece of equipment they were trying to steal earlier from the uh, the, the first uh, factory. Um, the DDs end up knocking Bruce to the ground, and suddenly, to Bruce's horror, Joker makes his entrance through a uh, trap door in the on the stage. And uh, what first what happens is uh, Wolf uh, tries to attack Bruce, but you know he fails, and then the DDs knock Bruce down to the ground. This is another another time where the DDs are, you know, they use their just their looks and base, I guess, to just you know take Bruce out of his element, so to speak, and they knock him to the ground. And Joker shows up, and Bruce is like, "It can't be!" And Joker kneels down to Bruce and says, "No, your old eyes don't deceive you. After all, who would know me better than you?" Mm-hmm. Which that and that line right there just sets up, yeah, pretty much the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, you're not expecting that. The first time you see this, it's like, "Huh? Wait, what's he talking about, Willis?" <laughs> <laughs> so this is when Terry arrives, and. Uh, you know, Joker comments that he misses the cape and the ears are too long on his costume, but you know it's not a bad costume. And then he sicks Woof on on uh, on this era's Batman, and they start fighting. And um, you know, it, this is where the gang starts to make their escape, and Terry follows after them. But Joker sets off like a dozen bombs on the balcony, and Terry's forced to save some people from falling to their doom, uh, letting them get away. Uh, so that's pretty much the extent of this scene. In a nutshell. Um, so, uh, ever remember seeing Bruce Wayne look that scared? No. He has seen it all. He's fought it all. He's destroyed it all. And uh, nothing shocks him, but this does, of course. And he's young, too, which is, uh, which has to freak him out even more. It's like, how, you know, is this guy immortal? You know, what, right. what, what do I have to do to rid this guy from Gotham and the world, you know? Yeah, he's not as young as he was in BTAS, but he's not 80 years old like Bruce, like he should be. Terry, in the next scene, kind of makes a comment about this. You know, he's like, he looks pretty spry for a guy that should be, what, 80? I think is what he says. And Bruce doesn't even acknowledge uh, Terry. He just tells him to shut up and drive. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was great animation on, on Bruce's face there. I mean, even down to his eyes, where they had his pupils. Get all, get all tiny. It was kind of cool seeing Terry face to face with the Joker for the first time, but, you know, really this scene sets up another recurring theme in the movie, and that's nobody taking Terry seriously. Because nobody does. Bruce doesn't, Barbara doesn't, Tim doesn't, Joker obviously doesn't. This is really what starts Terry's, you know, overlying motivation to, you know, show everybody that he is Batman. He is not a Robin. He's not a sidekick. He is, He's his own man, and he can take this guy. This scene also set that up for the rest of the movie, because, like you said in the next scene, they're driving back to uh, Wayne Manor, and, they're, uh, and you know, like you said, Bruce just tells him to shut up and drive. In the scene after, Barbara doesn't take him seriously, and just tells him to get lost. And character development and this movie go hand in hand. But something else that happens in the scene... Uh, in between the scene uh, at Commissioner Gordon's office and driving back to Wayne Manor is uh, we see a, 
an older gentleman uh, watching the, a news report in his house, and you know we don't know who it is at this point. If you know you're just watching it for the first time, you don't know who this guy is. But he sees uh, the, the report of the Joker attacking the building on uh, on the news, and he grabs his knee like, like just to say, "Oh my God, it's the Joker!" And his wife just asks him what he's doing. He says, "Oh, nothing," and he switches it off real quick. So it's just a, like a you know twenty thirty second scene, but he'll obviously come back. After this, we go to Commissioner Gordon's office. Well, something something I, I have to drop in here is when Bruce and Terry are in the car, and Terry's asking, you know, how can this be? You know, is it a clone? Is it a robot? Was he frozen in a block of ice and put into suspended animation? That's a direct reference to Captain America. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask um, you that, but I forgot completely about mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, we go to uh, Commissioner Gordon's office, and... Terry just shows up and immediately Barbara says, scram. <laughs> she doesn't want to see him at all. And it's, you know, we don't really know why Barbara is treating Terry like this at this point. Uh, it it almost makes you dislike Barbara. Uh, but, you know, of course, we don't know the full story yet. But, mm-hmm. And Terry's actually kind of, kind of acting like a punk, too. So it's not completely undeserved, but at the same time, it's like, you know, why, you know, why aren't these people helping Terry out here? So, uh, but you know, again, everything is answered later. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and even if you look at it just on a surface level, you can understand why she's a little miffed here because this punk kid just pumps into her office saying, "Give me answers, woman." Yeah, you know, and it's like she's the commissioner of police. You got to make an appointment to see her. You just don't get to walk in, and that's what he does after. Uh, Terry and Barbara kind of chat for about 30 seconds uh, with Barbara just basically trying to shoo him out of the office the whole time. Uh, The guy from the previous scene, the older gentleman, uh, shows up in Barbara's office, and they start start talking, and they're clearly friends. And again, they don't reveal his name yet, but uh, it'll come up very shortly. Um, And so Terry leaves as they begin their conversation. And... From here, we go back to the Batcave, uh, where Bruce is at the Bat computer, uh, playing the uh, the voice of the Joker from the balcony scene from a few minutes ago, and comparing it to an old clip from the Gotham Knights days. And the voices are identical according to the computer. Uh, so Terry enters, and he wonders why Bruce never told him about the Joker. Um, and he's you know he's like he must have been your bit your worst enemy and bruce says it wasn't a popularity contest he was he was a psycho a monster and uh terry's wondering how he could be alive after all this time and bruce says it's not possible that he could be alive because he was there when he died terry starts questioning bruce and says and then eventually he just says you killed him didn't you and uh bruce stops in his tracks uh walking away and uh and Terry's like, yeah, you you did. I know you killed him, but it was because he was going to do something so bad. You had no choice. You know, it's like, like, yeah, you killed him, but I understand. It must have been something really, really bad for you to have to have broken your one rule and whatnot. And uh, Bruce just turns around and says, Terry, I want you to give back the Batman suit. And Terry is naturally aghast at this uh, proposition, and um, he. He wonders, you know, of course, why? Why would Bruce, you know, why would you make me turn in the Batman suit? And Bruce says, look, you've you've done more than I could have ever asked you to do. You've honored the reputation of Batman. You've made your father's murderers pay for their crimes. And, um, you know, you put your own needs aside when the 
and became Batman when the city most needed a hero. And uh, Terry again just says, why, though? And, um, and Bruce says, I, ne- I had no right to force this life on you. And Terry immediately stops and says, no, look, I stole the suit. I want to, I wanted to be Batman. And he said, he, he goes on to say that, you know, he, he wants to be Batman to make up for his past sins, to look like a worthwhile human being. And he says, it's what he wants. So Bruce then just looks at him and calls him a stupid kid, mm-hmm. saying that he didn't, you don't know what you want, and none of you ever did. And he starts to walk away again, and Terry just throws the suit down and, and runs out of the manor. Yeah, I, I just, from start to finish, I, this is another scene that I just love, because this isn't a matter of Bruce telling Terry you can't be Batman because I don't think you're filling the role or I think you screwed up, you know, cause we've seen him do that in the past where he gets real cranky with Terry. And this is like, look, you've honored Batman. Thank you. Now stop, please. And he's trying to tell Terry in, in his own kind of Bruce Wayne Batman way, I care about you and you're going to die. And I can't have that on my conscience anymore. You know, but he can't get those words out. So he's trying to say it without saying it. And if you know the character, you know what he's doing. And I think it's brilliant. It's very subtle. Um, cause he's not yelling. He's just very calm throughout the whole thing. And then he does get upset, of course. But I like that too, because the reason Bruce gets upset is because Terry makes a good argument. He's like, no, the city needs a Batman. This is why I need to be Batman. So I'm going to continue to be Batman. Yeah, and you're not going to stop me. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's a really compelling speech. And Bruce gets pissed at him because yeah. he's like, damn, that's a good speech. Well, you're a stupid kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just that's Bruce's defense mechanism here. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I know. I, um, I I completely agree. It's it's a brilliant exchange uh, among many in this movie. Another thing that I find interesting about this scene is that if you listen to the dialogue, you figure out that Terry still doesn't know why Bruce stopped being Batman. Batman, Bruce, I should say, has never told him that he had to pick up that gun when he was like 50 year old, uh, you know, about 50 years old and, and wearing this the, the Batman Beyond suit in that opening sequence of Rebirth. Mm-hmm. He's never told him that. And I, you know, because Terry's mentioned it a few times where he's trying to figure out what made him quit. And he's been doing it for years now in their universe for years. And Bruce still is keeping that uh, uh, inside. And that right there tells you more about Bruce because he's ashamed that he had to do that. I mean, if he wasn't ashamed that he had to do that, he wouldn't have quit to begin with. So he's never going to tell anybody what made him stop. And the fact that Terry comes close to figuring it out. You know, Bruce almost did had to sh- did have to shoot someone, you know, to to save his own life and to uh, save the girl in in rebirth. And here, you know, he did attempt to kill the Joker. He did, um, but we'll get to that uh, later on. But it did lead, of course, to the Joker's death. So it's something else he's ashamed about. And another, you know, and of course that goes back to it. That's why he's not speaking about it. So it shows that Terry's a good detective in his own way. He sort of figured it out. Not quite, but he's on the right track. Yep. And, um, you know, it should be noted, uh, that the, uh, that on the onset of the scene, the, uh, the clip that Bruce played was from Holiday Nights. It was just reanimated in the kind of Justice League Joker style. Um, oh, it was, a, it was a real clip. I wasn't sure. Yeah, well, yeah the sound clip was, was real, uh-huh. but it was just reanimated, uh, on oh, the screen. Oh, it's great. Okay. So. Okay. Cool. Um, 
yeah, uh, anything else to say about this very, very powerful scene? No, no, I just, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's just, it's just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but from here, uh, we go to Terry's house, and uh, it's the camera's inside the refrigerator, apparently, because that's where <laughs> we the scene opens. Uh, Terry's just in his robe having breakfast, and Matt uh, is just starts yelling for their mom, saying that there's a strange there's a stranger in their house, and he's like, "I've never seen this guy before in my life." And uh, Mary is like, "Yeah, it is kind of weird to see you at home for once, Terry." And Terry says, "Look, I'm not I'm not looking uh, working for Mr. Wayne anymore." And uh, yeah, but and Mary's like, "Oh, well, it would be nice to have you around the house a little bit more, right, Matt?" And then Matt's like. Yeah, just when I was starting to get used to being an only child. So Terry flicks a piece of cereal in his face. Hmm. And uh, that's really about it for this scene. Not a very deep scene, but it just serves to remind us that Terry does have a family. The reason we need to be reminded that he has a family is for what happens later on when the Joker is priming his cannon. Yep. You know, I mean, really, there's no other reason for that scene to be there except for that. But it doesn't feel... Like, it was added in just for that at the same time. From here, we go to the nightclub where uh, Dana, Chelsea, and a friend of theirs just are walking down the steps into the place. And, uh, you know, Chelsea's like, you know, it's fun to have a, a girl's night out and uh, ditch the guys. And Dana's like, yeah, might be for you, Chelsea. I don't see enough of uh, Terry to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Chelsea's like, well, yeah, Terry's a nice guy and all, but, you know, who says you can't meet somebody new? And then all of a sudden, Terry shows up behind them and says, not a chance. So <laughs> they start they start dancing, and Terry explains the situation to Dana. Look, I, I'm not going to have a lot of money coming in for a while, but you're going to have me all to yourself. And Dana immediately says, I can live with that. And they start dancing, and uh, suddenly these uh, two twins, gee, I wonder whom they might be, <laughs> uh uh, walk up to Terry and Dana and cut in on their dance, and they they, sho- they forcefully shove Dana away, who is immediately captured by Ghoul and uh, taken uh, away somewhere. And uh, Terry's wondering where where uh, uh, Dana went, and we kind of and we cut to back to the Batcave, um, where Bruce is busy in, a, in his chemistry set, basically making uh, the Joker antitoxin. Uh, suddenly Ace starts growling and barking, and he runs up the steps of the Batcave, and you hear him squeal, really, because he's obviously been attacked, and Bruce gets up and uh, starts walking towards the steps, and all of a sudden this little bo- uh, ball rolls down the steps and unle- you know, just blows up and unleashes a bunch of gas, which cause- uh, causes Bruce to fall down, and you know he-, he can barely see what's going on, and suddenly Joker appears from in, you know, from the gas and uh, grabs Bruce, throws him into the chair, and uh, says, Hello, Batman. <laughs> and starts laughing, and then we cut back to the nightclub. Um, and basically it's just one big fight scene ensues where Terry is having to fend off the Jokers. And it's, uh, you know, he, he barely saves Dana's life because... Uh, she steps on Ghoul's foot and manages to get away for a moment, but Ghoul throws her off of a, a, a ledge in the uh, nightclub, and she hits a, a light panel or something and, and is knocked unconscious, but Terry manages to save her before she can basically fall to her death. Um, so he gets he gets Dana to uh, relative safety, and uh, he manages to 
knock over this gigantic lava lamp thing, which, you know, disables all of the, the Joker gang. And, uh, he manages to get out of the club where, uh, Dana's being loaded into an ambulance and Chelsea's asking Terry, why were those guys after you? And he does you know, he doesn't know. He says he doesn't know. And, um, he just says he's going to go talk to the cops. And, uh, what he does, he just ends up racing back to the manor. So, yeah, how about Joker accosting Bruce in the Batcave? It's like they say, the creators say on the commentary, it's like the ultimate what if. Yeah, it, it feels so wrong to have the Joker breaking into Wayne Manor and knowing how to get into the cave and beating up Bruce, whether he's young or old, and then gassing him. I mean, it's like... Uh, it, it, it's something you, you could see the Joker doing, but it just feels wrong and dirty. The ultimate perversion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, uh, it, I, I can't put it any better than what you just said right there. Uh, but that doesn't mean I dislike the scene. I love it because it fits in with this new Joker. And again, we're putting new in quotes here. Um, it, it's setting up new rules for this universe. It's adding more layers to the mystery. It's showing that not only does he know who Bruce is, he knows how to get into the cave. He knows how to beat him. Um, and, that, and then he trashes the cave, too, as we see later on, which you'll get into in just a second here. I mean, it's, it's, it's dirty and wrong, but awesomely powerful. And we get another great close-up on Joker's face. Every time they, they close in on Joker's face in this movie, it's just like, <laughs> oh, go away. You know, the creators were talking in the commentary about this, and I kind of agree. Um, you know, it's like people wonder, you know, why did Bruce not fight back? Because, I mean, it is just gas. And we've seen, you know, Batman get gassed before and still be okay and everything. But um, I think it was either Deanie or Tim that offered up that, you know what, Bruce maybe feels guilty about what happened to the Joker in the past. And he's, that's why he doesn't fight back, but it's like, it's the Joker though. I mean, so I can see it either way. I really can, because you know, that is the Batman character. All life is sacred and never kill anybody. And you know, if, if somebody in his bat family, uh, or him caused the death of somebody, you know, it's like, if, if, if they like came back to life, you know, what would he do? It was it was an interesting explanation, at least. I'm still chalking it up to shock. I think the only other thing I'll say about these these kind of dual scenes is um, at the nightclub. Those were the creepiest looking paramedics I have ever seen. Did yeah, you, you're talking about the hoods, right? Yeah, the orange hooded dudes. What the hell was up with that? I don't think this is the first time we've seen the paramedics like that in the Batman Beyond corner of the DCAU. But even if it is the first time we've seen them, and therefore the only time we've seen them, it always creeps me out because they almost look like like orange-hooded morticians. They do. Or monks or something like, we're taking her to a better place now. And it's like, <laughs> well, no, you're, you're bringing her to Gotham Central, right? It is a better place. No, but, but is she okay? She's fine. Like, no, but where are you bringing her? <laughs> Give me a straight answer, please. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just I had to mention that because it's like I look at those guys and I'm like, I wouldn't tr- entrust the care of of an injured relative or friend of the, to them ever, <laughs> just yeah. because of what they look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know what? You know what? I think I'll just take her in the back seat of my car. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry says he's going to go talk to the cops, but of course he's just using it as a distraction to go back to Wayne Manor and 
he calls, and of course Bruce doesn't answer. Um, but he, and he starts ranting over the uh, his helmet phone, I guess. And uh, he says, look, the Joker's little playmates were after me tonight, not Batman. Me. And this whole thing stinks, and I want answers. And he stops himself and says, wait a minute, you know, it's nighttime. Where would he go? So he, <laughs> you know, he gets there, and he finds that the manor's been broken into, and he finds Ace barely conscious in the living room. And he goes down to the cave, and the first thing he sees are big red haws everywhere. Ha, 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 just painted all over the the cave. And they're red, so for all he knows, that's blood. And mm. also, this is reminding him of when his father was murdered. Yep. So uh, he gets down to the to the back computer and he sees Bruce's body draped over the console. And he turns him over and he has been infected with Joker toxin. And his face is just one big, huge grin. And uh, Bruce manages to blurt out floor under table. And Terry looks over and sees one vial of of uh, this uh, some of this liquid, he doesn't know what it is. He really doesn't. So he just mm-hmm. grabs it, puts it in the to the little gun, and he uh, injects Bruce with it. And he uh, you know stops his uh, la- he stops laughing and he calms down. But this scene is maybe the most powerful in the whole movie, just because Terry. First off, Terry is scared shitless that. Uh, he may have, have he may have to go lose another father figure uh, in Bruce, just like he did with his real father, you know. And I say real father, not at this point, not knowing about epilogue, um, right? Yeah. But um, but furthermore, you know, he's he's got to be scared because he doesn't know what he just did to Bruce. He doesn't know what he mm-hmm. injected into him. It could have been, you know, a sedative. It could have been something that would just put him out of his misery. It's just like whoa. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the most powerful scene in the movie. I mean, I think we're going to get to that in the flashback. Um, But for me, it's quite possibly the creepiest scene, even above the reveal of uh, Robin having been turned into J.J. because of Bruce's voice, where he's gasping, and he's trying not to break out in the laugh, but you can hear it. You can hear a cackle wanting to come through in the back of his throat. And as he's as he's just barely getting those words out, you're just like, oh my god! Uh, again, it feels so wrong. It feels so perverse to see Bruce Wayne like this, infected by the Joker toxin. Kevin Conroy is a god. <laughs> I, I know we've said that before, but it really needs to just be reiterated again. That it's just—I I don't know what know what we can say at this point. The man is—he's yeah. brilliant, and mm-hmm. the whole—he's—he's he's gasping for air while keeping a laugh down and laughing and saying, you know, blurting out some words and laughing again. It's just, you know, he's doing like five or six different things at one time. Yep. And he's doing it perfectly. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you believe Bruce Wayne's dying on the floor. Mm -hmm. You're not going, oh, this is a cartoon character who's going to make it. No, Bruce Wayne could conceivably die right here. You don't know. You really don't. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the ha-ha-has everywhere, you know, they call back to, uh, Terry's father's murder. So that, I mean, it's like, that's an, that's another reason why I'm glad we're covering this at the end of Batman Beyond, because it's like a bookmark. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, but yeah, that's, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. It's not the most powerful scene, but it is, it is way up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, after this, uh, Barbara, uh, Terry calls Barbara over and they, uh, you know, Bruce is in bed, tr- you know, recovering. He's sweating and hyperventilating. And still at this point, we don't know what's going to happen to Bruce. And, uh, you know, Terry, you know, checks on Ace and, you know, it's kind of a little, a funny little scene where Ace is watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon, <laughs> um, which you need. You need some kind of comic relief at this point, desperately. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of like the scene at the end with the Deedees, the reveal there. Mm-hmm. You really need that moment as sort of just a breather, like, oh, this is funny. Okay, good. Yeah. You know, just, just, just that second or two of humor does so much to just make you relax before you get into some even darker stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because uh, Terry and Barbara start talking, and uh, Terry, you know, ter- uh, Barbara wants to know what what Terry knows, and he knows nothing about what's going on. And uh, Terry is like, "Look, Barbara, I need answers. I mean, I'm part of this, whether you like it or not. And you know, it's quite frankly, I deserve answers." So Barbara relents, and here we go. We get the story of the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker 40 years ago. I think we could skip over this. We don't need to cover this. You, th- you don't think so? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's only like 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> okay, so let me see if I can do this justice. Um, basically, Barbara starts the story out uh, by talking about Tim Drake, the second Robin. Um, apparently, he was out on patrol alone one night, and he came across a woman in trouble in an alley. Uh, there were just these two thugs attacking her, and uh, you know, he swung down and easily uh, disarmed them and knocked them out. And uh, you know, he, you know, makes a little quip about things being evened up. And the woman says, "Not really, Bird Boy." And she pulls out this gigantic mallet and bashes him right in the back with it, uh, which just knocks him out cold. And um, it's revealed that the woman was Harley Quinn in disguise. And um, the Joker walks into the alley, makes his own little joke, and uh, starts laughing and. Next, we see Batman and Batgirl uh, flying over the city uh, in just like a montage of scenes. They're 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 questioning people. They're throwing people out windows, uh, just wanting to know where Robin is because you know he's obviously missing. And uh, they say, Barbara says that they searched for three weeks and found absolutely nothing, and it was just agonizing. And um, then one night, they were sent an invitation to a rooftop. And when they get there, there's this giant jack-in-the-box waiting for them. And Batman breaks it open, and the uh, the jack inside has the Robin costume on and a grenade for a head. And it explodes, and uh, Batman goes back to uh, what's left of it, and he sees a straight jacket uh, amongst the just the, the remnants of the jack-in-the-box. And he immediately knows that the culprits are at, are at Arkham. And that Barbara says that Arkham at that point had been moved to a new high-security facility and that the old one had been partially demolished. And they get there, and Batman and Batgirl start searching through the the, the ruins of Arkham, and Batman comes across a room decorated kind of like a 1950s leave-it-to-beaver home or hmm. whatever, and um, Harley and Joker are inside it, and Batman demands to know where, where Robin is. And the Joker and Harley are like, Robin? What? Who? And uh, Harley says, oh, he must mean our little Jay. 
And then Robin, or Robin, uh, Joker says, of course, that's it. So he just points over to a curtain and Batman walks over and, uh, Harley says, uh, uh-uh, uh, no peeking. And she, you know, blasts this thing out of a bazooka that ties up Batman so he, he can't, uh, see what's behind the curtain. And Joker goes on to explain that, uh, you know, they've been doing this for years and, you know, the sad fact is none of us are getting any younger. And, you know, and Harley says, my old clock's ticking and, uh, <laughs> They basically say that they, you know, they wanted a Joker Jr. to add to their merry little family. And, um, you know, he says, you know, we couldn't do it legally, but since uh, Batman always had a few spare kids lying around, he borrowed one. And Joker pulls the curtain back, and we see Tim, you know, part of him anyway, uh, hideously disfigured. And he gets out of, off of a, a, a stretcher, and... He has been turned into a spitting image of Joker. Uh, he's got the skin, his skin has been bleached. He's wearing, you know, the purple outfit. And he's, he can't do anything but cackle. You know, he can't speak at all. And um, Batman is, just, it, it, this is like his breaking point. He, he goes, ins- he almost goes insane. He breaks out of the thing that Harley tied him up in and he throws a knife at the Joker's head. Um, and Joker starts laughing, and they, he runs off, and Batman chases after him into the asylum. Uh, at this point, Batgirl swings down, and he, uh, she tries to snap Tim out of it, but he's, you know, he's completely insane. He, he cannot be helped at this point. And um, Barbara and Harley start duking it out, and they wind up on the uh, outside of the demolished ruins of Arkham. And uh, Harley ends up getting her bazooka again, thanks to Tim, and. Uh, Barbara knocked it, knocks it away at some point, causing it to fire and uh, knock them both over the edge of a pit. Well, uh, Barbara catches a, uh, a ledge and uh, manages to uh, grab Harley and keep her from falling. And, but when she tries to pull Harley up, her uh, sleeve tears and she apparently falls to her doom. Um, so she gets back up and uh, or, you know, Barbara get, manages to get back up to the top. But back inside... Uh, they're in the theater room in the in the asylum, and Joker starts showing Batman clips of him torturing Tim and turning him into Joker Jr. And you know this is he's this is the Joker. This is just the Joker in a nutshell. He's just breaking it down psychologically, and he also reveals that he knows who Batman really is. And he then goes on to mock Batman, just saying he's you know he's a kid crying for mommy and daddy in a play costume, and uh, Batman just flies up into the projector room and starts to beat the utter fuck out of Joker. And uh, he ends up throwing him down back into the room where this this whole big scene began. And um, Batman bas- basically says he'll kill Joker, but Joker calls his bluff. and uh, yeah, He says, I will break you in two, mm-hmm. is what he says. Yeah, and then Joker's like, yeah, if you had the guts for that kind of fun, you would have done it years ago. <laughs> I, on the other hand... and <laughs> He pulls a knife, slashes Batman in the face, and shoves it right into his knee. Um, knock, and Batman falls to the ground, and uh, Joker says that, you know, Batman's lost, Robin is his, and the last thing you're ever going to hear is our laughter. So Joker gives that familiar bang flag gun to Tim and tells him to make Daddy proud uh, and deliver the punchline. Tim pull, uh, pull, you know, lifts up the gun, and he pulls the trigger, which lets the bang flag come out. And, um, Batman just, you know, kind of, you know, kind of blurts out a, you know, Tim, you know, and then 
this actually gets through to Tim because he starts to struggle with it. He doesn't know what to do, and he keeps laughing, and he's, you know, it's like, what is he going to do? And Joker says, do it! And finally, Tim shifts the gun ever so slightly and shoots Joker right in the chest, killing him. Um, and Barbara goes on to say that they buried the Joker beneath Arkham that night and that the only other person who knew what happened uh, with those events was her father, James Gordon. And, yeah, uh, that's that was the whole story there. And Well, we should also mention that uh, they had Leslie help. Yeah, nurse Tim back to health. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting to. Um, you know, this we're back in the present now, and Barbara says that uh, they had a friend named Leslie Tompkins, and she needed a year, but she was able to help Tim back to sanity. And she goes on to say that Bruce forbade Tim from being Robin again after that night, and he said he'd never again endanger a young partner. And, um, th- you know, I think maybe in some way you can take this to mean that he may have forbade Barbara to be Batgirl again, but I think mm-hmm. Barbara says that Tim left us that night, so right. you know, it's kind of ambiguous. But um, she then says that Tim went on to have a family, and you know he settled down, and um, you know everything turned out pretty well, all things considered, for him. And you know Terry says, yeah, Tim, it sounds like Tim deserved a happy ending, but he has the most likely connection to that night. Ooh, where do we start? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm going to start with the end there, where Tim is struggling. You know, uh, before we did this review here, I rewatched the movie twice. Uh, not with the commentary, I just sat down and rewatched it twice from start to finish. And something I noticed uh, watching it through the second time, this time around... And again, I've, I've seen this movie countless times. I don't even know, you know, and this is something I've never noticed before, but it was something I noticed just now is you have to look at Tim when Bruce says Tim, because it just, they give him like these little twitches where you can see Tim trying to come through the JJ persona and regain control, but JJ being stronger than Tim. And it's not, an over-the-top thing. It's not a super cliched thing. It's very subtle in the way they animate it. It's just a little tick or two that he gets out before JJ takes over again, and then Tim's finally gets a firmer grasp on himself and takes down the Joker. It's just brilliant animation. Yes. Now, of course, this scene is the most censored in all uh, of, oh, yeah. of all the scenes in the edited version. I mean, I don't even know where to start with all the censorship here, but uh, I guess I'll start with in the flashback, the beginning of the flashback, um, you know, Batgirl talks to a couple of prostitutes on the street, so they're very obviously prostitutes, and and Mm -hmm. so in the edited version, Batgirl talks to a nicely dressed man and woman. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't talk to Black Canary? Yeah, I was wondering why Black Canary was in that scene, but... Yeah, yeah, that's straight up Black Canary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with the Joker and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and, um, you know, getting into the the fighting in the um, in the in in this asylum, in the theater room and everything. You know, uh, Batman throwing the knife at Joker is completely removed in the edited version. Uh, Most of the Our Family's Memories uh, sick video is, is edited out. Everything involving the electrodes is removed, and mm-hmm. only Robin struggling is what remains is what you see. And um, then after that is over, Batman, you know, Batman bursts into the projector room and 
he punches Joker's mouth, and there actually is a blood splatter that comes out in oh. the in the edited version, but all other blood in the film is removed from that. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, Bat- uh, Joker slashing Batman's face and stabbing in the knee is gone. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of weird because in the edited version, he j- it just looks like he kind of falls off of the blocks. It's it's uh-huh. really really lame. Um, and the big one, Joker's death scene. Um, it's it's replaced with an entirely different one. Joker tosses Tim a gun meant to spray Batman with Joker gas, uh, meant to make Batman one of us. Well, instead, Tim drops the gun and pushes Joker into a room with water on the floor where he accidentally hits an electrical switch and is electrocuted off screen. So, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's bad. But, uh... I think that's just about all the censorship here. Um, um, the one I know of off the top of my head is the uh, the Joker's apron. You're yeah. supposed to say kill the cook and not kiss the cook. Well, yeah, they, they wanted to put that even in the uncut version, but it didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, I love that Barbara's line about the old facility had been partially demolished and hung open like a rotting wound. There's, that's, a yeah. nice, that's a nice visual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and then the music in this scene is just... It's just brilliant. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of parts where there's no music, which works very well. Like on the rooftop where they open the jack-in-the-box, there's no music there until the grenade explodes. Um, then when they get to Arkham and they bust the door open uh, of Arkham Asylum itself, not the room that Joker and Harley are in, but there's, there's again, mm. there's no music there except for, you know, Harley uh, way in the background singing uh, the lullaby, which is really creepy. Uh-huh. And then it's it's great because when you get to the room that Joker and Harley are in, they start playing like a 1950s style sitcom music. Yeah. And, and then, but then when you when they reveal Tim, it's just like dun, and it just complete the music completely shifts to uh, this really creepy music. I think they said they did something special with a guitar for like that hmm. that really weird sound effect that happens when you first see Tim. Hmm. Um. I can't remember what they said. I think they said they put like an alarm clock on a on a guitar string or something. It was really something really weird. But uh, yeah, yeah, it made a sound that I'd never heard before. So, um, but yeah, the, just I love the music in this scene, with, with the lack of it and the music when it happens. So, um, very creepy, and um, yeah, well, we got to bring it up because we've mentioned this uh, many, many, many episodes of WFP ago because we were talking about, you know, what's the most fucked up thing in the DCAU? Um, you know, Tim on the stretcher, as JJ, is mm-hmm. way, way up there. Do you think... Now, I, I'm posing this question again because I may have asked this back when we did it. Is this the the most fucked up thing that they have done for the DCAU? Tim as JJ on the stretcher, or the whole torture scene? The tor- Really, as a whole. You know, Tim being tor- uh, turned into JJ... Him coming off the stretcher, him, you know, just really the whole thing as a whole. The, as a whole, yeah, it really has to be up there because, you know, it's one thing, like, let's say we saw this happen to, I don't know, some character they created just for this. It'd be messed up, but big deal. But it's happening to a character we know and love. Mm-hmm. And that makes it worse. Yeah. Um, and what makes it even worse beyond that, you know, so it's happening to a little boy who just wanted to be an adventurer. 
the thing is, though, I mean, if you're going to tell a story of the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker, it has to be something deeply psychological and earth-shattering. Mm-hmm. And Joker kidnapping what is essentially Bruce's son and turning him into that grotesquery, I think it qualifies. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's... This and this goes back to setting more uh, new rules for Joker. You know, this he just he did he broke Batman he broke Batman psychologically. Mm-hmm. He won. Yeah, he won. He absolutely did. So yeah, I mean they they pulled it off. They if uh, I can't think of another thing, you know, beyond just you know like a like death in the family type thing. But this is maybe one step below it, if not, maybe maybe even one step above it, just because he just destroyed Batman so badly. Now, I gotta mention the animation in this scene, in the theater mm-hmm. booth, when uh, Batman bursts into the into the projection room, and you and the camera falls, and you see Batman beating Joker up with the light of the camera behind yeah. him. And, you know, they drew all that by hand. How they pulled that off, I'll, I'll never know. It's just amazing animation. There is one kind of minor animation blunder, though, when uh, when J- uh, Tim shoots Joker, the uh, bang flag is sticking out the wrong way from Joker's. But you know what? Uh, I I don't I don't even care. I don't just because of how just intense this scene is. This is just kind of way off the wall here. But uh, when uh, Joker is mocking Batman in the th- in the booth, and uh, he says behind all the Sturm and Batarangs, um, that's that's kind of a spoof on. Uh, a uh, German artistic movement from the 1700s called Sturm und Drang. I think the only other thing I have, there's a, a censorship alert, and it's just uh, language again. Uh, when Terry, in the uncut version, when Terry says, I'm assuming his girlfriend bought it, uh, that was changed to, and since you never found his girlfriend, hmm, you know, dot, dot, dot. That's about it, I believe, for hmm. that. So anything else we should mention here? We do have to move on from this scene because if we don't, we could just talk about this Forever. for like a- an hour straight and make it almost its own episode of WFP. So, I mean, we ju- we just have to move on. We just have to leave it as is at this point. Okay. From here, like I said, Terry says, "Look, uh, well, Tim must Tim has the most likely connection to that night, so he goes off to see Drake at his work site, and he's uh, he's in his cloaking uh, or you know his stealth technology and." He's on top of this satellite dish that um, Tim's working on, and Tim's just, you know, he's just fiddling away, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just says, you might as well show yourself. I knew you were, I knew you were there the whole time. And, uh, you know, he, he unveils himself and says, yeah, I, I'm no bore wonder anymore, but that training never goes away. Hmm. So he introduces himself as Tim Drake, and, of course, this is the same guy from uh, Commissioner Gordon's office and that scene earlier where he was watching TV. It's revealed here that it was Tim Drake. Uh, and he's probably, you know, he's roughly 50-ish, maybe maybe a little younger. Um, and, you know, Terry's like, you heard what happened to Bruce? And Tim's like, yeah, I heard. That's too bad. And Terry's like, you're not too broken up about it. And Tim's like, look, I had nothing to do with it. So, you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but, like, yeah, <laughs> pretty um, much, yeah. And uh, he's like, they go, on, they go on and start talking back and forth, really. And uh, Tim's like... Tim basically comes off as, you know, I. It got, it got to the point. I never wanted to see that Robin suit again. He's, 
he's just really, really bitter here. He he doesn't want to even think about his days as a costumed hero. And, you know, probably for good reason, considering what all yeah. happened to him. So, you know, Terry just says, regrets, Mr. Drake? And he says, yeah, I mean, you know, I was I was the boy wonder. Yeah, great. And, but, you know, when it was all over, I just never wanted to see that, that Robin suit again. And that's when Terry just flies off in the Batmobile and he contacts Barbara, who's at the the chair in the at the back computer right now, and uh, yeah, he says, "Were all of you that bitter when you left?" <laughs> and uh, Barbara's like, "Eh, comes with the territory, McGinnis. You should look up Nightwing someday because he's got stories." <laughs> and that's all we get of Nightwing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of disappointing, but again, you know, they just didn't have time to add anything else, unfortunately. Um, so Terry says, yeah, you know, I guess Drake's clean, but I've got another lead I need to follow. And this is where we finally find out what Jordan Price's uh, role in all of this is. So uh, we go to the, the Wayne Company yacht, and uh, it's, out, it's out at sea now. And uh, Jordan opens the door to a room, and uh, we see this very scantily clad woman, just half of her, shall we say, um, on a bed, and you know, the, her top half is completely hidden in darkness and Jordan's like, ah, yes, this is nice. You got caviar and soft music and charming company and I can't think of a better way to, you know, celebrate my rise to CEO of Wayne Enterprises and all of a sudden the girl gets up from the bed and it's one of the Deedees and um, suddenly the Jokers, you know, walk into the room one by one by one and um, basically what it amounts to is the Jokers are there to uh, eliminate Jordan Price. Uh, because their use, his usefulness has come to an end, and uh, their leader has decided that he's a loose end, and he needs to be tied up, literally. So he tries to run away, and um, but I, I, I guess I have to mention, of course, that uh, uh, Jordan, before they say that, before they reveal their plan to eliminate him, Jordan's like, our business is concluded, and Terry flies up to the yacht and you know uses his little speaker, fingertip speaker things to listen in on their conversation, and Price says, look, I gave you the, the code so you could ransack the labs while, uh, you know, a couple of you bunglers tried to kill Wayne. And, uh, you know, and so uh, Chucko says, look, Wayne's terminal anyhow. You're going to be able to be CEO and everybody's happy. And then Price is like, well, why are you here? And then they, that's when they reveal that they're going to kill him. Um, so they tie him up to the table after uh, Wolf, you know, very violently kicks him into the into the table. It's quite funny, actually. And uh, uh, Ghoul contacts Joker to, says, to say that they've got him. And so Joker presses a button on his little console, and a uh, minute countdown starts. Uh, he says, you better get out of there, kiddies. Things are about to start popping. <laughs> and uh, so Batman busts into the into the room, and he says, nobody's leaving until I get answers. And the, and the Jokers all, you know, get out the window of the yacht into their little hover scooter things. And... Uh, Batman is about to follow after them, but there's all of a sudden this big, bright blue light flashes above the yacht from the sky, and uh, Price is like, they're getting away, and uh, Batman says, yeah, probably for good reason, too. And uh, <laughs> they manage to get out of the yacht before this beam this beam of light blasts from the sky and just destroys the yacht. It just vaporizes it. And um, after a, a minute amount of trouble, uh, Batman gets price back to shore and um he's arrested after batman plays a 
a, uh, a recording of him admitting that he was in on the Joker's plot to kill uh, Wayne earlier. And um, the cop salutes Batman, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just out of nowhere, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, here, there is a censorship thing, of course, here. They they very obviously took out the whole thing where uh, the DD is on uh, the bed with mm. her hand over her ass, and uh, all you can see is just the lower half of her body and everything. So they, they completely took that out in the edited version. Um, there is one kind of animation blunder note to have to make here. Where did Price get that second glass of champagne? Price, on the onset of the scene, uh, has a glass of champagne in his hand. Dee Dee reveals herself on, uh, to him, and he drops it. Well, you know, and the next time we see him, he has yet another glass of champagne in his hand. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're being accosted by six freaks in clown outfits, and you have, you're, you're going to pour yourself another glass of champagne. Maybe he's an alcoholic, and he really needed that drink. <laughs> well, I guess if I came across people looking like that, I'd need some booze, too. Yeah. No, that's a good catch. I, I've never catch, caught that. Good, good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not really a whole else, a lot else to say about this scene. It's no, I mean, it just finally lets you know that it's not Jordan. Mm -hmm. That's the Joker because we see the Joker, you know, doing whatever he's doing in another place. And we see Jordan doing what he's doing on the yacht. So, oh no, now who is it? You know, you know, the, the one person we thought it was, it is not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Terry, after he leaves Price with the cops, he looks up at the sky and the clouds start to reform back to where they originally were before this big beam of light blasted the yacht away. Um, and he's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> so he flies <laughs> off back to the cave and he's uh, he's sitting there at the back computer and, you know, Barbara's left by this time and, you know, he's just sitting there with Ace and he's just letting all of his problems out to Ace like a psychiatrist, basically. Because <laughs> he's just lamenting that all of his leads have fizzled out. But then Bruce enters the cave, and, uh, you know... Well, hang on, hang on, beyond that, I mean, he's doubting himself. Because something you said earlier is this whole picture is about everybody doubting Terry as Batman. Mm -hmm. And he's always been sure, you know, that he is Batman, that he, this is what he's meant to do with his life. But now he's starting to question himself. So he's starting to believe what other people have been saying about him all along, and it's a nice little character moment. Oh, yes, definitely. Because he, you know, he says, if I was the Batman I was supposed to be, I would have figured this out by now. I'd have figured out that one little clue that everyone else overlooked, and so on and so forth. And Bruce enters the cave, and he says, it's rarely that simple. And, um, you know, Terry asks how he is. He just says, lousy. <laughs> so... <laughs> Terry then reveals that uh, Barbara told him what happened to Tim Drake all those years ago, and Bruce says, you know, he finally admits that that was why he didn't want Terry going up against the Joker, you know, imposter or not. And, uh, you know, Terry gets a little angry at this, and he says, look, nothing against your old partners, but I'm a completely different Batman. I was never a Robin. Then he looks over at the costume cases that Joker smashed up earlier, and he sees something, and he goes over in, at, to the Robin suit, and he notices that that's the only one that the Joker went out of his way to destroy. And Terry starts piecing it together that, you know, Tim Drake has to be the brains behind this new Joker. Because, you know, it's it's not a ghost out for revenge or anything. And, you know, he says that he talked to Tim Drake that, you know, he has less love for that costume than the Joker does. And Terry, and Terry says, look, because uh, Bruce at this point is, is like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that it could be Tim. And, um... Terry then goes onto the back computer and displays a readout of everything the Jokers have stolen. 
and uh, you know they piece it together on the computer, and Bruce says that they can all be combined to make a satellite jamming system, which will allow the user to access satellite defense systems and fire them at will. And Terry reveals that somebody already has because he thought Jordan Price was the Joker, but the Jokers were on the company yacht trying to kill him off. And he barely got him off before someone disintegrated it. And, you know, there's kind of a moment of silence here. And, um, uh, you know, Terry says, look, it's it's harsh, but, I mean, who else is there? So Bruce sits there and finally just says, you know, take the car, check it out. I'll monitor you from here. You know, it's because it, at this point it's clearly obvious that Tim Drake is somehow involved in this. And uh, Terry says, there's something else I want to take with me, and we just pan down to Ace. There's another censorship alert here. Like it, it, uh, When uh, Bruce, Bruce says, well, Robin did shoot him, it's, it's edited to, uh, Robin defeated him. Oh, God, really? Yeah, it's pathetic. Lame. Very lame. But, uh, anything else you want to say about this scene? Um, no, well, a little, yeah. Uh, like I said, I like the fact that Terry was starting to doubt himself. And what I also like is that by the end of it, you know, he was doubting himself 60 seconds ago, and now he is using really good detective skills. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he shows that he has a keen eye, and he notices something that Bruce didn't even notice. That the one suit that was trashed was the Robin suit, and that has to mean only one thing. So, yeah, I mean, from here, Terry, you know, goes to, goes off to the, uh, this building where Drake is uh, supposedly working at, but when he confronts Drake, it's just a hologram. And <laughs> Joker appears on a TV screen behind him and says, yep, indeed, Tim Drake is in my employ, and... Uh, he then uh, shows a the satellite for, uh, on a screen, this like orbiting defense satellite. Uh, it shows it on screen, and that he's basically using this little uh, image. He says he's just going to indiscriminately blast Gotham wherever he feels like with this laser, and uh, you know he says, "Well, you're welcome to try and stop us, but I'm not taking bets on that happening anytime soon." <laughs> and uh, so. Terry starts to fly off, but then he gets, uh, you know, this laser alarm system starts blasting away at him, and after a few minutes, he's able to to disarm it by, you know, throwing several batarangs in different directions and causing the lasers to blast each other, and uh, he's able to escape. Um, One thing I do have to mention here before I go uh, go any further is that laser system, uh, the satellite laser, is a clear homage to Akira. the, uh, mm. the Soul 9000, mm-hmm. yeah, the satellite orbital laser yeah. from Akira. And what's really, really cool about this is they got one of the animators who created that laser design for Akira to do this movie. The, laser, the satellite laser design for this movie, too. Very neat. So from here, uh, you know, Terry gets in the Batmobile and starts uh, heading off to... He, he pieces it together that he that uh, Joker is at the Jolly Jack candy abandoned candy factory and... Um, there's kind of some debate about this as to how he figured it out because there was supposed to be, yeah there was supposed to be a label on like a jar of candy sitting next to Joker in that scene that scene we I just went over where he's, yeah. he's like laughing at Batman basically and, uh-huh. and it was supposed to have Jolly Jack on it but it didn't so it was kind of a a, a blunder there. But that was something I noticed too. The only way I can get my head around it is uh, earlier in the movie when the Joker and the Jokers uh, crashed the party, mm-hmm. Bruce's uh, 
welcome back party, uh, the little hover car that the Joker's in says Jolly Jack on it. It's kind of obscured, like the side's a little rusted. Yeah. Um, but the point is, if Terry saw that the little car said Jolly Jack back, back then, why didn't he look then, you know? Yeah. Um, so you can kind of say he might have noticed it there, but it doesn't quite work if you're going to go with that. So it is a bit of a foobar that he just knows. It, it's like he's got psychic powers or something. It was something they mentioned in the commentary, too. It was supposed to be... There was supposed to be something there, but for some reason it never made it into the, mm. the animation. But So, you know, anyway, you know, Terry's takes off um, in the Batmobile, and uh, he sends the, the link to Bruce so he can get it to Barbara so that uh, she and her men can be there. Um, but um, Joker ends up getting onto the feed, and he's, he uh, says, you know, you naughty kid trying to ruin my fun. Papa Spank! <laughs> I wonder what that's a reference to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden, this, the uh, the satellite uh, light shines over the Batmobile, and uh, Joker activates the satellite, and it he, uh, he blasts down on the Batmobile, but it just barely misses it, and the Batmobile starts careening all over the place, and Ace is inside barking at Terry, and Terry's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, he manages to get away as Joker, you know, almost starts firing the damn satellite like a machine gun, just just all over the place. And uh, Terry's flying all over the city, and the laser is following him at every step. And suddenly Joker tightens the beam to where it's just blasting everything in a straight line. And it's it's probably killing thousands upon thousands of people. But it should be noted, mm. it should be noted in the commentary, Bruce, Tim, and them are joke about, oh, yeah, those buildings are all completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> really taking the piss out of themselves, I guess. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's old town, the, you know, the, the area no one lives in. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yo, oh, those people in the fountain, yeah, they, they all moved. See, they all moved, they're really quick. <laughs> yeah, they, it was pretty funny, actually. Mm. And uh, Joker's, you know, it's following Terry all the way up into the sky and uh, through the skyline of Gotham. Joker is just laughing maniacally. And um, at, at this point he sort of loses control and he, he has to sit down because he starts feeling kind of weak. So it's, it's really strange. You don't know really what's going on here. The satellite uh, turns off and uh, Batman continues onto the candy factory and he gets there and uh, Chucko blasts the, the wing of the Batmobile kind of clips it with a bazooka and uh, Terry, you know, kind of maneuvers the Batmobile into the smokestack that he's standing on. So it, he falls down and is completely knocked out. Um, and, you know, one by one by one, the Jokers try and get, uh, try and get Batman, but he easily dispatches them all. Uh, he actually six ace on uh, Wolf, and it's, it's quite funny. Uh, that had to be censored because Ace is kill- like just biting the shit out of Wolf. You know, I don't, I cannot remember if that one was censored or not, but it probably was. Um, what's funny though is Frank Welker does the voice of uh, Wolf and does the sound effects for Ace, so it's like, <laughs> hmm, that must have been pretty tough. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, Terry takes out all the Jokers and um, he goes into the candy factory and. Um, he starts looking around, and it look, the place looks completely empty. He can't find the Joker anywhere, or Tim Drake. And suddenly he sees Drake laying on the ground. Um, and Drake awakens, confused, and not knowing where he is with a really bad headache. And 
you know, Terry Terry demands to know where the Joker is, but Drake, you know, legitimately doesn't know where he is, and he starts uh, rambling, and uh, eventually he's just he just he blurts out Terry's name, and huh. and Terry's like, "How do you know my name?" And then and Drake just stands up uh, with a something this ball metal ball thing in his hand and. Yeah, he says, "There's nothing about you I don't know, bat fake." And he throws the thing at Terry, and it it turns into this claw thing, and it electrocutes the suit, which completely disables Terry. Um, and of course, then we have Terry alert uh, with Bruce, and um, uh, Drake starts saying, "Look, uh, Bruce, I know you've got your monkey boy wired somehow, so you know you're really going to want to see this. It's a killer." And Here's the big reveal. Drake starts laughing maniacally, and he turns into the Joker right on screen. It's a great piece of animation, I must say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, Terry's like, Drake, you're the Joker? And Joker reveals that, you know, Tim knows none of this. He doesn't even know that Joker is in his body using it as as he calls a timeshare. And, um, <laughs> you know... They're just, Terry and Bruce are both aghast, and um, uh, Joker reveals that while Drake was under his control all those years ago, he used uh, this you know, cutting-edge genetics technology um, and encoded his DNA on a microchip and sent it right into Drake's brain. And he's Joker has been asleep in Drake's subconscious for decades, and uh, he says that look soon enough, soon I'm going to be strong enough to live in this body permanently. So he brings up, uh, he starts fiddling on his computer and brings up a screen uh, on the screen a picture of Gotham, and he he uh, says, "Look, uh, uh, my comeback party's going to set the whole town on fire." And he's about to activate the satellite, and he actually asks Terry where he should make Ground Zero. Uh, <laughs> and this is this is all bringing everything full circle here. He's like, "Hmm, should it be Gotham General where Dana is recuperating, or how about the happy home of Mrs. Mary McGinnis?" And uh, he says, ah, but the one and only kickoff point must be stately Wayne Manor. And he says, gone in a flash before Bruce can hobble to safety or, you know, mount a rescue. And, uh, you know, he says, but don't worry, you know, I'm going to hit them all eventually anyway, so it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and it, he makes it into a smiley face design on the map, just for, <laughs> just for, just for uh, added uh, emphasis. <laughs> Well, convenient how they line up that way, yeah, isn't, isn't it? it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good grief. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he's like, so long, Brucey. You know, I should salute you as a worthy adversary, but, you know, the truth is, I really did hate your guts. <laughs> and he actually sticks his tongue out and goes, <laughs> <laughs> So, he then just he just looks down at Terry and says, How about a kid? Any, old, any last words for the old bat fart? And uh, Terry says, Yeah. Sick him. So Ace runs out from nowhere and tackles the Joker and uh, manages to chomp that piece of metal off of Terry's arm. I guess Ace has metal jaws or something. <laughs> um, so this is where we start. We start to kind of get a, a fight scene going. Joker manages to disable Ace by blasting him with the joy buzzer. So Ace is knocked back, and um, Joker's about to finish him off. He really, he's really about to just go to kill Ace, but then Terry tackles... Uh, the Joker, which knocks the ring off of his hand, and it goes flying into the computer console, which makes a big electrical surge, and the satellite gets activated, and the beam starts heading towards the Jolly Jack Candy Factory. 
And Joker actually kind of makes a joke about it and just says, Oh, good. The beam's headed here. Now I'm going to have to start all over again. <sighs> Thanks for wrecking everything, kid. See you around. So, yeah, I, I love that, that the Joker thinks that he can just walk away. You know, oh, okay, uh, you know, we'll, we'll resume this in six months' time. And I'll see you then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, again, going back to nobody taking it's, Terry seriously. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, the Joker's like, I, I don't know who you are, but you're not Batman, so I can just walk away because you're not going to stop me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and then, so Terry will have none of this. He grabs Joker by the arm and says, hold it. And Joker's like, oh, wise up, Junior. Game's over. And he says, I'm taking you in. So Joker's like, right. And he just beats the piss out of Terry and throws him to the ground. And uh, he's like, you're out of your league, McGinnis. I know all the original tricks that the original Batman and Robin knew at their peak. And uh, Terry's like, yeah, but you don't know anything about me. And Joker, again, just this total look of incredulity. And he's just like... What's to know about you? You're just a punk, a rank amateur, a, a costumed errand boy taking orders from a senile old man. But if it's a whooping, you're a wanton. <laughs> and Terry, then he rolls up his sleeves. Yeah, you know, it's, great. it's so funny. Um, yeah. So Terry starts to, you know, it looks like he's about to run away, and Joker's like, "That's right, go run and save yourself." And but Terry just closes the door of the candy factory and breaks the lever, so n- neither of them can escape. And um, he says, let's dance, bozo. They start getting into, you know, a, a fist fight, and Joker is pretty much owning the fight, really, because he does he does know everything that uh, Batman and Robin knew. And, um, you know, Terry eventually says, um, you know, he asks Bruce for some advice. He's like, well, you know, he's tough, boss. What should I do? And uh, Bruce says, look, he's vain. He likes to talk a lot, so, but don't listen to it. you just got to ignore it. And uh, Terry's like, hmm. I like to talk, too. (laughs) So, um, you know, they keep fighting, and uh, Terry knees Joker right in the nutsack. And uh, Joker's like, like, what are you doing? And Terry's like, fighting dirty. And and Joker's like, the real Batman would never, and then he just forces his knee even further up into his crotch, and he's like, told you you didn't know me. It's it's just brilliant. And uh, he shoves the Joker away, and Joker's like, oh, you're a funny guy, aren't you? And uh, Terry says, can't say the same for you. And this is this is where one of the three greatest exchanges in the entire DCAU takes place, where Terry knocks the lights off and flies up into the rafters to where Joker can't see him. And Terry starts taking it psychological style to uh, Joker. It's it's so wonderful. I, I, the, the whole thing you know back and forth terry's just like you know you know the the reason you were so fixated on the original batman was because because you wanted to make him laugh that's all it was and uh and he's like get a clue he doesn't have a sense of humor he wouldn't know a joke if it had been in the cape not that you ever had a good joke it's you know it's just bad. one at one line after another terry just takes the piss out of joker which is it's never happened to the joker it's just it's awesome you Nobody's ever taken it to the Joker verbally. Well, no one has the guts to. Exactly. It's I don't know where I would rank it exactly at this point, um, in terms of just a, you know a dialogue between two characters. But I mean, the Terry Joker exchange—it's it, easily one of the three greatest in in the DCU DCAU. I think uh, from from what all I've seen, just because of how epic it is and how you know you're taking 
Batman's art, you know, arch nemesis, and you know, Terry is just—he's doing what nobody else could do to the Joker. You know, fighting him on his his terms, his you know his style of fighting, and that's just you know taking it to him verbally. So, you know, I just love it, and you know, I put that in my SIG on the forums for a long time. The whole exchange yeah. because it's just so great. Eventually. Uh, Joker has had enough. He's just like, don't you dare laugh at me. And uh, Terry is actually cackling, laughing at the Joker right now. Just like, it, it's he's just he's just caused the Joker. He's just like losing his his what his wits, what's left of them. And so the Joker is like, he's like, don't you dare laugh at me. And uh, Terry says, why? I thought the Joker always wanted to make Batman laugh. And Joker's like, you're not Batman! And he just throws <laughs> grenades up into the rafters, and and this causes Terry to fall to the ground, and he throws another one, and it, you know, it, no it almost knocks Terry out, and uh, Joker throws a table on top of him and, and sits on it so, to where Terry can't get up, and he starts. He takes the mask off and starts strangling Terry, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, not laugh now, you miserable little punk!" And um, I can't hear you. And um, Terry takes the joy buzzer uh, and electrocutes Joker in the neck, frying the microchip, and you know, basically ridding him from Tim Drake's body forever. And at this point, the laser has almost reached the factory, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, Bat, uh, Terry takes one last Joker grenade and blows the door open, and he and Drake uh, and Ace manage to get out, and um, the laser destroys the, the candy factory, and that's about it for that, I think. Yeah, and because it destroys the factory, it destroys the computer, which sends the satellite spiraling out into deep space. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I, I want to say about that real quick, not the satellite going away, but the way Terry beat, uh, the Joker was, uh, after the microchip has been fried and, uh, the Joker slash Tim falls over, you can't see Tim's head. All you see is this like s little stream of smoke mm -hmm. coming up and you don't know if Tim is dead because the Joker's dead. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of neat just the way. The, the the smoke is rising up there, and you're like, did Terry just blow his head off? <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I didn't even think about that, but it's that is pretty mm -hmm. funny and kind of yeah. weird at the same time. There's another great line um, with when uh, uh, when uh, Terry six Ace on Woof, and he's just like, "Good bad dog." Yeah, <laughs> um, I always love seeing. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Just. It's, it's like a second, but it's still one of my favorite parts among many. Um, mm -hmm. But the animation in this entire, this whole long sequence is, it's nothing short of amazing. Yeah, it, 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 this is really one of the best fight scenes and uh, climactic scenes, I do think, in all of the DCAU, mm -hmm. um, at least to date. I, I don't want to talk about what's to come because... You know, we have many, many things to still cover from this point forward. But uh, to date, this is just it, just the way it's drawn, the way it's paced, the intensity of it all, uh, the way uh, Terry reverses the role on the Joker. Normally, it's the Joker who gets into your head uh, and not Terry. Batman gets into your head, but not the Terry Batman, you know. Yeah. Um, and he t totally turns the, the tables on him. I mean, it's just... 
great. <laughs> yes. I, this is exactly what I figured we'd be doing throughout this whole yeah. thing. It's like, it's just, it's awesome. It's great. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it's, there's a couple of little animation notes I have to make here. The, if you freeze frame when the Joker is getting shocked by the joy buzzer, at two points you can mm-hmm. see Tim Drake's face. It's really cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, it is. And he, it's white still. So it's really creepy, but it's really cool. And um, when the, the laser finally blows the factory up, um, just stare at the nose of the, the factory uh, when it's about okay. to explode, and the nose flies right at you at the screen. Oh, it's, it's cool. It's really weird, but it's really funny, too. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? No, not really. I pretty much had my say about it in that it's just the way it all comes together. It could have been a big clusterfuck. Um, but they really pulled it all, you know, it's okay. It's a big thing because we've got this satellite shooting this laser. We've got this climactic battle between these two foes, you know, and it could have come across as like too much, but it was just enough. It never felt like it was, uh, ruined by the fact that they added this and then that, and then this on top of that. Mm -hmm. It just, it just all came together and uh, formed a perfect picture. Oh, yeah, one thing built to another, and it was mm-hmm. it was great, great climax there. Um, you know, from here we get the we finally get another moment of uh, comedic relief with uh, the Didis in uh, prison, and their uh, their grandmother has paid their bail, and we pan up to see her, and we're like, er, "Who is this?" And uh, the Didis walk out of the the jail and uh, out of their jail cell, and uh, they're like, oh, great. And the hmm. the grandmother is just like, you you rotten little scamps. You break a grandmother's heart. I hope they throw the book at you. And she smacks them hmm. on, smacks their asses with the cane. And um, and one of the DDs just says, oh, shut up, Nana Harley. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and in the commentary, Paul Dini says, look, yeah, I wasn't, it, it, I fought kicking and screaming to not kill off Harley, so I demanded to have that scene in there. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool that they just had Arlene Sorkin do a gram- her granny voice, too. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's all that was. It was just a little a hiccup so we could catch our breaths, really. Um, because um, after this, we go to Gotham General Hospital, and uh, we, we're in Tim Drake's room, and uh, he's recovering, and he, you know, he says, Barbara, Barbara's in there with him, and um, you know, he says, you didn't have to cover up for me, Barbara. And she's like, don't worry, Tim. You know, Tim, the Joker's gone. You were just along for the ride. And Terry walks into the room, and uh, Barbara says, Tim, this is Terry McGinnis. And Terry's like, we met the other day. And he's like, hmm. did? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, look, I, I owe you big time. And Terry's like, forget about it. And uh, Tim says, look, for whatever it's worth, there's, you know, Bruce couldn't have picked anyone better to put the mask on. And, hmm. um. Yeah, and Terry's like, you know, coming from you, that means it means everything. So um, Tim's, you know, Tim goes on to say that, you know, if there's one thing I've learned, it's you've got to appreciate the people in your life while you have the chance. And Barb, you know, Barbara can, continues on and says, yeah, I know not everybody's capable of expressing that, Tim, no matter how much they want to. Of course, talking about Bruce and mm-hmm. um, Terry leaves the room, and uh, who should show up in the hallway but Bruce and um, and. Terry's like, what are you doing here? And Bruce is like, it's where I should be. And Terry walks off, and before Bruce uh, walks into the room, he stops Terry and 
Um, in ten seconds, he does more. This this ten seconds does more character development than I think a lot of monologues could. You know, he gives Terry the ultimate compliment. He says, "You know, look, I I was thinking about something you once told me, and and you were wrong. It it's not Batman that makes you special. It's the other way around. And never tell yourself anything differently." So, you know, Terry's Terry's almost taken aback by this, and he just you know, he says, "Thanks." And Bruce walks into the to the hospital room and. He says, hello, Tim. And Tim's like, hi, old man. So they're all, apparent, you know, they're going to make up and they're going to catch up with their lives. And, um, you know, the last thing we see is uh, Terry standing above the city on a, you know, and being very old school Batman-like. And he puts the mask on and I guess goes out on patrol. That's the end. Woo! Yeah. So final thoughts. I haven't been this nervous about doing a WFP episode since like the early days and yeah. <laughs> because I didn't want to forget anything. I didn't want to screw anything up. This is easily in my top 10 favorite movies ever. And this is not something they could half-ass. I mean, th- we're talking about bringing back and solving the mystery of what happened to the Joker, Batman's arch nemesis. You know, it's the big question. Everybody was asking is Batman beyond was going on. Um, you know, and not to mention, it also told what happened to Tim Drake, too. Um, and there were only so many ways they could have brought back the Joker. I mean, and but it worked. I, th- I thought it did anyway, because, I mean, it's certainly better than, you know, resurrecting him via magic or something goofy like that. But what I love this movie for the most is what it did for the character development of Terry McGinnis. What it did was nothing short of astonishing. If the series showed us that Terry is his own Batman and not a sidekick, then this movie put about two dozen exclamation points on it. <laughs> um, and, God, like I said every, uh, earlier, everyone here was on their A-game. The voice actors, the artists, the musicians, the storyboarders, everybody. And, you know, I, I just I cannot thank them enough for creating such a brilliant work of art in the form of a movie. I really can't add anything to what you just said. Um, you know, all I'm really going to say is that from start to finish, this is a tightly scripted, near perfectly animated movie. Um, it's just brilliant on every level. Um, something I said earlier, I'll repeat, and that's, you know, not a second of this film is wasted. Everything is there for a reason. They don't linger. Um, they don't bore us with unnecessary details. They get to the point, but it never feels rushed either. Um, this is the exact length it needed to be. And in that 75, 80, whatever minutes, they did more character development with even pre-existing characters like the Joker than we saw in all of his appearances in BTAS and Gotham Knights to date. They did more character development with Terry in this one episode than they did in all of Batman Beyond, I think. Bruce, too. Um, it's just, it's just perfect. I mean, in that regard. I mean, yeah, there, there's little animation flubs, like, like the thing you pointed out with the champagne glass. Um, there's something else I didn't point out, which I meant to. Remember when I was talking about the flying car that said Jolly Jack on the side? When we see it the first time, it just says Jolly in big letters. And then when they pull back, the letters are smaller and the full word Jolly Jack 
is there. Again, it's a little rusted over. So, you know, there's little glitches like that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about in terms of the script. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, to date, there's been nothing better. Um, I think we're going to see some stuff that's maybe a little better from here on out. Um, but again, I'm I'm speaking from memory. Um, where this one, I can say, at least right now, this is the best to date. But uh, I'm interested to see if it does hold up, if anything is going to knock this off the top for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we, we've got to mention, Max wasn't in the movie. Yay! <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> don't know why, don't care. Shall we grade it? Yeah, I, I don't think our grades are even in question here, but go ahead. Infinity plus one. Yeah, pretty much so. Um, but for my spreadsheet, I need a, a number a that the spreadsheet number? can comprehend. Damn. Yeah. All right, I'll give it a 10. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those instances where I almost regret having given other things pens. I, I say that in jest. I, you know, I stick by the tens I give before, um, and I stick by the fact that I'm going to give this a 10 as well. It's it's just breathtaking. <laughs> He's got no sense of humor. He wouldn't know a good joke if it bit him in the cape. Not that you ever had a good joke. Shut up. Shut up! I mean, joy buzzers, squirting flowers, lame. Where's the A material? Make a face, drop your pants, something! Show yourself! You make me laugh. But only because I think you're kind of pathetic. (laughs) Stop that! So you fell in a tank of acid, got your skin bleached, then decided to become a supervillain. What? You couldn't get work as a rodeo clown? (laughs) Don't you dare laugh at me! (laughs) Why? I thought the Joker always wanted to make Batman laugh! (laughs) You're not Batman! Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll take a look back at all of Batman Beyond and reevaluate a handful of episodes. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.